There is a pair of jeans that recently sold for $87,000. This was not about fashion. This was not designed by a known, um, you know, fashion, um, you know, sought after designer. This is uh, a pair of jeans that were worn and heavily worn, but not by anyone famous. In fact, nobody knows who used to own them or who wore them because they are a pair of Levi's that had been abandoned by a person in a mine shaft in the 1880s. And they were discovered and they are one of the oldest and uh, most intact pair of early Levi's that exist. Uh, you can, when you go home, you can look it up and, and see what they look like online. They look horrible. <laughs> they're dirty, they're covered in candle wax because working in the mines, that's how they had light, was from their candles. And these jeans have become, for some, a treasure. Turns out that there is a passionate market and even a community of people who go out seeking uh, vintage denim and even early examples of ancient denim like this. Uh, the person who found the jeans in the mine shaft calls himself a denim archeologist. And he won't even reveal where the mine shaft was because that's proprietary for him. And that's what he does in his life. It's his work and it's his passion is to go into all sorts of places and all sorts of conditions looking for treasures like that, often coming up empty-handed, literally risking his life climbing into dangerous places like old abandoned mines. In the gospel passage today that you just heard, we have numerous parables and we have sort of an end of a series of teachings that we've been hearing actually over the last two Sundays. Now this is the third Sunday where we get many of these parables that Jesus says, parables that you may have noticed tell very extreme stories, very hyperbolic illustrations uh, one, it, it, one person has said, it's been said that uh, parable uses a fiction to tell a truth. And you may have noticed that today we hear a refrain repeated, repeated of the words hid and hidden. And we hear about the theme of searching and finding. The kingdom of heaven is said to be like treasure hidden in a field. And then the parable after that, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman hid and mixed into three measures of flour, which then leavens the entire amount. The English translation uses the word mixed, but actually the Greek says hidden into the flour. And the kingdom is also an elusive pearl that a person sells all of his possessions in, in order for him to obtain that treasure. While the parables say that the kingdom of heaven is like these things that are being sought after, searched for, I think the parables also are saying that the kingdom of heaven is like the way that we are changed by the search itself. The kind of search that Jesus describes is something that takes place deep within us, in our hearts not with the mere cold logic of our minds. As human beings are wired to search, to pursue, to hunt, 
for the things that we feel we need to grasp. And when we are really in pursuit of something, it's almost like it changes us, almost like the cells in our bodies get reoriented and everything is about that thing that we are hunting for. And sometimes it is for precious things like genes or something better than that. But how much more so can we be changed if we search like that with all our heart for the kingdom? Imagine how you would be changed if you searched for God in your life in the way that these individuals in the parables pursue those treasures that they seek. The opening parable today is a little bit different from the others. It's about the kingdom of heaven being like the tiny mustard seed. The tiniest of seeds that grows to become something great and life-giving, something you'd never expect from looking at the original seed, unless you really knew the potential that is in that tiny seed. The Bible scholar and preacher George Buttrick noted that the lesson of the mustard seed rightly rebukes our cult of bigness. He says, Our pride in huge cities and mighty explosions has little to do with Jesus. Actually, our human life is small. A series of breaths, a sequence of steps, a frail chain of words. It is worth notice, noting that Jesus preferred a cult of smallness, for he stressed faithfulness in that which is least. In the mustard seed, the infinite is hidden in the tiny, like the potential of a still small voice or of any humble act of prayer or of faith. Of course, a seed that holds great potential will be no good unless it is planted. A bit of yeast is no good unless it is mixed in. Finally, Jesus concludes with the fifth in the series of parables, which is different from the other four, and it paints a picture of fishermen fishing with a net. Now, Bible historians say that this net uh, was not just a net that's thrown over the side of the boat to catch fish, but actually this would be a massive dragnet, the kind of net described that you would imagine being put between two large boats, and it hauls up everything that is in between those boats from the sea all kinds of things, all manner of seafood. And you read about in the parable, they pull in fish that are good fish and bad fish. Um, you may have wondered, as I did, when I was rereading this over this week, I was thinking, what is a bad fish? Um, you know, for us, when we think of bad fish, usually it means fish that is old, not fresh. But these are all freshly caught fish. Well, your answer is, we're talking about fish that are kosher, and fish that are not, the good and the bad. And the disciples would have understood this because they were Jewish and they were also fishermen and this was their life. Now, the traditional way of reading this parable is that you and I better hope that we are going to be counted as the good fish. But there's another way of looking at it. Because in reality, none of us, not a single one of us, is perfectly good, nor are any of us perfectly bad. 
And this is true, of course, for all the saints that we have ever learned about, all of the heroes that we have ever known. You know, we live in a city where there are many people who are lifted up as heroes, and you learn more about them, and you realize that everybody, even our greatest heroes, were imperfect people. It's also true, if we're mature about it, that none of the villains of the history of the world or of today are purely evil either. All of us, good or bad, are a mixture. And in other words, none of us is purely a good fish or a bad fish. And there is room to believe that in the end, there won't necessarily be a separation of people resulting in eternal punishment for some and eternal reward for others, but rather what some theologians all the way back to the beginning of the church have believed is that the good in us will ultimately be separated from the bad. And only then will we become free from whatever it is that is in us that separates us from the love of God. The fire of the parable is not a fire of punishment so much as a fire of cleansing. And some people, of course, will need a little more cleansing than others. But how else would God's love be made complete? Especially knowing that God's love is for all of God's children, even in their imperfections. And Paul shares this ultimate hopefulness when he writes to the Romans that he is convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Thinking back on that minor <clears throat> who was doing his work back in the 1880s, remember, he too was looking for treasure. And could you imagine if he were to know today that the genes that he discarded for whatever reason now have become treasure that others are seeking? Even in this mundane, earthly world, we're absolutely surrounded by surprises. This world is full of treasure. And these things are only a foretaste of the life-changing reality of the hidden treasure that is the kingdom that is to come. Amen.